So Paul's letters to the church in Corinth often have a kind of frustrated tone. Of all the people that the Apostle Paul had to work with, it seems like the Corinthians were the most difficult. It was a diverse city that they lived in. It was a diverse church that they were a part of. But people hadn't figured how to overcome their differences and get along as one community in the body of Christ. Now, in those days, when they celebrated communion, the Lord's Supper, it was an actual meal. None of this, you know, dipping a little cracker in a, in a bit of grape juice or wine. They actually sat down at tables and broke bread together. But it was, in reality, more like a high school cafeteria than a real community. Factions and cliques sitting at their own tables and eyeing one another suspiciously. Not only that, but... A lot of them apparently gorged themselves on the food, leaving little for others. So Paul, in this letter, has to remind them all that this isn't a restaurant. It's a church. It's a community. And they ought to start behaving like one. The scripture reading today is from 1 Corinthians. Now in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For, to begin with, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. Indeed, there have to be factions among you, for only so will it become clear who among you are genuine. When you come together, it is not really to eat the Lord's Supper, for when the time comes to eat, each of you goes ahead with your own supper and one goes hungry, and another becomes drunk. What, do you not have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you show contempt for the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I commend you? In this matter, I do not commend you. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be answerable for the body and blood of the Lord. Examine yourselves, and only then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For all who eat and drink without discerning the body eat and drink judgment against themselves. For this reason, many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves, we would not be judged but when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Please pray with me. Everlasting God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations upon all of our hearts serve to glorify you, and may they be in keeping always with the teachings of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. When my family moved to Wheaton three years ago, we met a lot of great folks in the neighborhood those first few days. There's Sue across the street, a kindly retired woman who let my kids rambunctiously explore her house. There's Mario, the guy with the shaved head and a motorcycle and a heart of gold, 
who looks out for everyone, keeps an eye on the neighborhood alongside his dog, Axel. Trent and Wendy moved in just a little while later with their two-year-old daughter, Violet. And then there's Carmen, a charming grandmother with a beautiful smile who lives on the other side of us. She brought me a fruitcake when we first moved in. I knew right away that this would be a great community to raise a family in. In the past three years, I've hardly spoken to any of them. When I happened to see one of my neighbors outside, we cast furtive glances at one another, wondering if we've been seen. I'll maybe give a little wave, maybe mumble, hello, under my breath, so quietly that they can't possibly hear what I'm saying. And in the interest of full disclosure, I'm not proud of it, but I have to confess that I never did get around to eating Carmen's fruitcake. You see, I've never been especially good at building and maintaining relationships. I've never been especially outgoing. I mean, it's easy here in the church, especially when you're a pastor at the church. You know, you work alongside folks in ministry all the time. You worship together. Church is like a family. It it sort of just comes naturally. But neighbors really require that extra effort. I mean, it's not like anyone sits on the porch anymore and just shoots the breeze with each other. You know, we're all locked up in our homes with our phones and our Netflix and our own problems. There just isn't much of a reason to go knocking on the neighbor's door anymore. And the longer this goes on, you know, the worse it gets. I find that one crosses a sort of event horizon where it's, it's too late to suddenly start acting all nice and neighborly after you've been you know, avoiding making contact or eye contact with people for three years. Now, I, uh, I learned, I think, I learned this sort of antisocial behavior at a very young age. I, uh, I grew up in a pretty blue-collar town, you know, and the neighborhood was a little rough around the edges. It wasn't terrible. It wasn't dangerous. It was just kind of worn down, you know. All the paint was peeling off of the houses, and the screen doors were full of holes and swinging on rusty hinges. My parents, for whatever reason, didn't like or trust the other kids in the neighborhood, uh, so we were really discouraged, generally, from you know, going outside to play. The traditional wisdom about uh, fresh air and exercise was no good here. Why don't you come inside and watch television, they'd say. You should play more video games, you know, they'd say. By the time I was in high school and we lived someplace else, my mom was always telling me to, you know, go out and make friends. But that was easier said than done when you never learned how. People are especially isolated these days, it's true, but it's not an entirely new problem. Back in the early days of the church, people really struggled to be in community with each other. In Corinth, it was, a, it was a diverse bunch, you know, more so than most churches are today. I'm sure you've heard the saying that Sunday morning is the most segregated hour of the week in America. But Corinth was a port town. It was a, a cultural melting pot, a lot of people coming and going. The church reflected that diversity. Its members were devout Jews from Palestine and converted pagans from Athens, African mercenaries and Phrygian merchants, pious believers and debaucherous sailors. 
And when they came together, all of these different people, to celebrate the Lord's Supper, it went, well, went about as well as you would expect it to. They sat at different tables, huddling around their own friends and kin, seldom speaking to anyone else. Some of them made a point of getting there early so they could get the best seats and gorge on the food until there was none left for anyone else. Some of them got flat out stone drunk and made fools of themselves, you know, dancing on the tables and smashing plates. Basically a typical church potluck. Uh, it fell to Paul as their leader to build these people into a, a community, to build them into the body of Christ. In his letter, Paul tells them that the Lord's Supper is less about food than it is about communion, about being together. If you're hungry, Paul tells them, eat something in your own house before you show up to church so you don't eat all the food there. But if you're hungry for something more, for the Holy Spirit that moves in the spaces between us and binds us together, then come together at this table. Today we live in a very fractured and isolated society, willfully oblivious to the world and the people around us, reading our preferred news sources, talking to like-minded friends, friends on Facebook. And when we do get together, it's usually still in a kind of echo chamber. You know, we listen to our own opinions being fed back to us. Like the people in Corinth, we convene in tribes, seemingly unable to stomach anyone with a different worldview or experience. I saw an image recently that per perfectly captures this this sense of 21st century American isolation. As you all know, you know, you can legally smoke marijuana now in Colorado. In fact, I've noticed that a lot of you have been taking off a lot of business trips to Colorado the last couple of years. Anyway, in an effort to adapt to the uh, emerging culture, McDonald's is testing a new smoking sections at a few select locations in Colorado. But it's not like the kind of smoking section that you remember, you know, from the 70s and 80s. No, it's, it's actually a, it's a small airtight pod that you sit in with a tube that ventilates the smoke up into the ceiling. And I saw this picture of the apparatus with a couple of guys, you know, sitting in a McDonald's a few seats away from each other, each of them gestating in their plastic smoke-filled pods, their surface emblazoned with the iconic golden arches. Man, I tell you, Ronald McDonald is more liberal about cannabis than, uh, than I thought he was. The late Mayor McCheese never would have stood for this, I, I don't think. <laughs> but these, these pods are a perfect metaphor, I think, for the echo chamber that we live in. Small, suffocating, and filled with our own recycled hot air. Here in this church, we aspire to be a community without walls. I don't know if we're quite there just yet, but we're trying. And that's why we've decided to partner with the Precious Blood Ministry of Reconciliation. You've already heard some of, of what they do uh, and the community they work in and the kind of struggles uh, with poverty and violence that they try to overcome. And yeah, I believe 
we believe that this is a ministry that's worthwhile and worth supporting. But I want to be clear, this isn't about writing a check and and sending money to help poor people. This is not about just trying to help our neighbors. It's actually about getting to know our neighbors. Uh, It's about building relationship. It's about building bridges instead of walls. Bridges that can help us to escape the echo chamber that will be the death of us. And building a relationship with people from a different neighborhood because we're all part of the same world. One of the most important things that this ministry does, as uh, Father Kelly said, is restorative justice work. You know, bringing victims and perpetrators of violence together at the same table uh, to talk, to listen, and to heal. Yeah, can, you, can you even imagine having a conversation like that? Not just an awkward exchange with one of your neighbors in the driveway, but having to, having to face the family of someone that you shot and killed. Can you imagine what that must be like? How hard that must be? Can you imagine what it would feel like to hear them forgive you? Our world is small. But when we come together at the table and talk, and more importantly, listen, our world gets a lot bigger. And I would argue that it gets a whole lot better. I can still remember sitting with my parents and my older brother at the local pancake house back in the 80s. My mother hated cigarette smoke, could not stand it, so we always sat in the non-smoking section. But the thing is, if you remember the restaurants back then, you know, the smoking and non-smoking sections were usually in the same room. You know, there'd be a little divider of some kind, maybe, that they put up to make everyone feel better, but it it was useless. I saw a cartoon once that said it all. It, It depicted a man coming into a restaurant, and he was faced with two signs pointing in opposite directions, and one of them said, Uh, smoking section, and the other one said, secondhand smoking section. (laughs) So we'd all sit there and we'd eat our pancakes, pretending that there wasn't a thin cloud of smoke hanging over our heads. But just like those ridiculous dividers at the pancake house, the walls that we build between us are arbitrary and pointless and stupid. We like to think that we're in the proverbial non-smoking section out here in DuPage County. That the smoke of wildfires in California, or the burning rubble in Syria, or the campfires of a caravan in Central America, or the smoke trailing from the barrel of a gun in Chicago can't reach us out here. But however we try to isolate ourselves, we will always be part of the same world. We are already in the same room. So let's come together and eat at the same table. Amen.